Amen. Well, uh, we are turning to the Bible. We're turning back to Acts. It's Acts chapter 24 this week as we edge closer to finishing this big book of the Bible. Acts chapter 24. For the boys and girls using their uh, good book company Discover Notes, I think that's Discover uh, Study number 39. Uh, the book probably half folds open where you've, uh, where you've had it open before anyway, but uh, Discover page 39. And while you find Acts 24, uh, let me recap the story so that uh, we know what's going on when we start to read it. So, the Apostle Paul, uh, apostle and church planter, he's come back to Jerusalem, but lots of the Jews there can't stand his message about Jesus. Uh, they started an uproar in the city, and Romans rescued Paul, but they also arrested him for being at the center of a, of a disturbance, a riot. Then over 40 men swore that they would kill Paul and laid a trap for him in the city. The Romans heard about it, though, and sent Paul 60 miles away to the governor's headquarters at Caesarea, out at the coast. Uh, and the Jews who are accusing Paul of doing wrong have been told they have to come and explain to the governor why Paul is guilty. And that takes us to Acts 24, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my, uh, my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring these charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. 
Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came, uh, came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, oh, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. And we finish our reading there. Uh, today we're thinking about two things. We're thinking about looking for trouble and taking risks. Looking for trouble and taking risks. And I want to plant the idea in your mind that there's a difference between looking for trouble and taking risks. So let's, uh, let's think about some examples. So if I go for a walk in the evening when it's dark, and I walk along a dark road, there is a risk that I could get into an accident. I might be hit by a car or, or nearly hit by a car. A driver might not see me, so there is a risk there, isn't there? Uh, I'm taking a risk going out for that walk. Now, I can make that risk smaller if I wear a, a high-vis yellow jacket with those silver stripes uh, that, that reflect light from car headlights. I even recently saw someone out in the village here uh, walking with a, a red flashing bicycle light uh, on the back of his coat. Um, so that was pretty helpful as I drove along. It's still a risk to walk on a dark road, but it's a smaller risk. And it's good these days, isn't it, to get a little bit of exercise and fresh air, uh, keep us all, uh, us all sane. Uh, but sometimes I see people who go for that same walk, and it's like they're looking for trouble. Uh, no bright yellow jacket, no torch, no lights, just a dark coat. It's like looking for trouble. Uh, or sometimes I drive past someone who's riding a bicycle after dark. No, no high-vis vest, no bike lights, and no helmet. It's mad. Uh, just dark clothes, dark bicycle, and, and you know, you know drivers. You, you, you can be almost past someone before you've seen them for the first time. Um, or maybe, uh, <laughs> this is a real switch of illustrations, but maybe we've got some rock climbers in the church. I don't think so, but hey, we did have a skydiver that time that I asked about that. So, um, so you know, who knows? And there are different types of rock climbing. Aid climbing uses ropes and equipment to aid the climb. So you're using the ropes and, and, and kit to help you get up. Free climbing uses ropes and bolts to protect you from falls. So they're not aiding you on the way up, but they are stopping you on the way down. Um, so if you fall, you're clipped into a rope that stops you quite quickly. Free solo climbing, like this guy, uh, is climbing with no ropes and no equipment, just you and the, and the rock face. And if you fall, you fall all the way. Uh, and I don't know, maybe some of you are feeling a little bit head spinny, just, just looking at the sky. Uh, it's very, of course, it's very dangerous. And, um, you know, there's a kind of sensible version of climbing where, you know, you risk getting a bump and a bruise if you fall a little bit and then the rope gets you. 
And then there's this type of climbing, uh, which I think is asking for trouble. And you wouldn't catch me doing that. Uh, well, for more reasons than one. <clears throat> Today in Acts, we see uh, what the Apostle Paul does when he's in trouble. So he's already in a little bit of trouble. Um, is he careless? Does he make it worse? Does he go looking for more trouble? Uh, like this chap? Uh, should we enjoy getting into trouble for being Christians? Uh, and what does he do about risks? Because there is a difference. There's looking for trouble and there's mm, taking some, some calculated risks. Uh, does he take risks? Does he run a mile from risks and try to be as safe as he can? Um, is that the Christian thing to do, to be as safe as possible? Or does Paul take risks? And if he takes risks, what kind of risks does he take and why does he take them? What would persuade Paul to take a risk? Anyway, here's our big idea. We don't go looking for trouble, but we should be ready to take risks to share Jesus. Uh, we don't go looking for trouble, but we should be ready to take risks to share Jesus. Let's stick with our little habit of recent times by looking at our big idea in, uh, well, bit by bit. So first of all, um, we don't go looking for trouble. We don't go looking for trouble. It's worth saying that it seems to be very easy to cause trouble as Christians. On the one hand, uh, lots of people out there have hurts and grievances, which are often quite real and maybe very raw uh, because some awful things have been done in the name of, of Christianity or of the church. Other people have prejudices that are easily triggered, and some people these days even seem to be on the lookout for excuses to be offended. Uh, they seem to enjoy it. But on the other hand, some Christians seem to enjoy starting arguments and quarrels, although the Bible tells us not to do that. Some Christians can be unhelpfully judgmental and self-righteous, looking down on people, and that doesn't fit with the gospel. And some Christians try to hold power and impose God's law on people who, who don't believe in Him or agree with what He says, laws that will still make society a kinder and better place, because God's law is good law, but uh, laws that don't save anyone, uh, and in fact often make the good news of, of Jesus harder to hear, or can do. Uh, so it's worth saying up front that we should not be troublemakers. We don't go looking for trouble. Um, but trouble can still find us for being Christians. Sometimes uh, trouble comes looking for us even when we don't deserve it. And that's because, well, for one thing, people don't like to hear the good news about Jesus. Some people have strong reactions against Jesus. And we've seen that in Paul's story, haven't we? Um, and Paul is certainly in trouble. He's been carried out of a rioting crowd, pulled out of a rioting Sanhedrin, and evacuated out of Jerusalem altogether uh, because of a plot to ambush and kill him. Now he's being held at Governor Felix's residence, and those accusing Paul have arrived to try and persuade the governor that Paul is guilty and should be put to death. So Paul is in trouble. Let's just um, let, let's read the start of the story again from verse 1. Five days later, five days after Paul arrived there, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Uh, and when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. And this uh, lawyer, Tertullus, and I kind of couldn't help doing a little voice for him, he starts by flattering the judge. Uh, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you and your foresight 
uh, has brought about reforms in this nation. You're, you're such a good ruler, and we're all really thankful. Uh, now, that flattery is a really slimy move, um, especially since Felix's rule is regarded as the least peaceful of any governor of the place, and, and he violently ended several uprisings, and he was hated by the Jews. They hated him. So this is a slimy move. But perhaps these Jews will, for, on this occasion, appreciate a governor who kills people for disturbing the peace, because that's what they say Paul has done, and they want him put to death. So verse 5, we found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. And you're going to see all this is true. So their list against Paul, is, it's got three parts, and they go like this. Paul starts riots with Jews wherever he goes. It's the first accusation. Number two, he's a ringleader of followers of Jesus of Nazareth. That's why it says the Nazarene. Jesus says the Nazarene. He's a He's from Nazareth. So uh, followers of Jesus, basically. Uh, and he tried to spoil the temple. Now, the Roman governor is probably not going to care too much about the Jewish temple. And he probably won't care about Paul being a Christian leader as long as Christians kind of keep the peace and mind their own business. But if it's true that Paul has been starting riots with uh, Jews across the Roman Empire, then that is exactly the sort of thing that Felix has had people killed for. Uh, and verse 9 the Jews, the other people in the room, joined in the accusation, asserting that these things are true. So Paul's in trouble. He didn't go looking for that trouble, but it came looking for him yet again. And his life is in danger here. His life depends on what Felix decides to do with him. So how will Paul defend himself? Because there actually have been riots where Paul has taught about Jesus but they were started by the Jews. And you can look back through Acts to see that. Some Jews even followed him from one town to the next to make trouble. Paul could start shouting about that. Uh, he is a Christian leader and he didn't try to spoil the temple. That bit's made up. So what's Paul going to say to defend himself? First of all, he does not bother to flatter Felix. The Jewish lawyer kind of said, oh, Felix, you're so wonderful. We love you. We love your work. Uh, Paul basically says, well, you are a, ju a, a judge, so um, that's good for making judgments. <laughs> uh, very basic. Uh, then Paul answers these three accusations, starting with number one. Accusation number one, Paul starts riots, verses 11 to 13. Uh, <clears throat> well, he says, I was in Jerusalem for just a week. I didn't stir up trouble anywhere, and there's no proof. Accusation number two, Paul is a Christian ringleader, verses 14 to 16. He says, oh, I do, wor I do worship God. I do follow the way, which means I am a Christian. Everything I believe fits with the Old Testament. Um, I have the same future hope as these Jews, resurrection and judgment, so I live to please God. Accusation number three, Paul tried to spoil the temple, verses 17 to 21. Well, he says, well, I've been away from Jerusalem. I brought gifts for the poor and offerings to God. I kept all the temple rules, and I was on my own in the temple. And then Paul kind of remembers that this accusation comes from those Jews from Asia. They were the ones who started this rumor, and he realizes he doesn't actually have to answer this charge because they haven't come to accuse him. So that one's out the window. And we love to defend ourselves to the full, don't we? Um, 
If as children we get into an argument with brothers or sisters, we'll tell our parents everything that helps our defense. And the things that make us look bad, we will not say too much about. Uh, Or, you know, even if we get into some grown-up dispute, perhaps in the workplace, we can be economical with the truth. We can try to paint ourselves in the best light. We can even uh, maybe make the odd insinuation against someone else to make them look worse, just to tip the scales and make us... It's not pretty, is it? We like to defend ourselves to the fool. Paul obviously doesn't do that. He doesn't tell Felix that the Jews across the Roman Empire have rioted against him and tried to kill him several times. He doesn't tell him that he was punched in the face at a meeting of the Sanhedrin. He doesn't tell him that the Roman commander almost flogged him and shouldn't he be entitled to some sympathy. And maybe the biggest thing of all, he doesn't say anything about his accusers standing in the courtroom being part of a plot to have him, a Roman citizen, ambushed and murdered on the streets of Jerusalem. He could have said all of that and shouted, it's not fair, and these guys have done this, and I haven't done it. Maybe we would have. Maybe we'd have said everything that came to mind. But all Paul seems to say is, no, I didn't start a riot. No, I didn't spoil the temple. And yes, I am a Christian. I believe uh, in the same God as, as my accusers. Uh, we will all rise from the dead to face him. There's nothing more important than being ready to meet him. It's like the most important thing for Paul is to make sure that everyone gets another chance to hear this message, that we will all be raised from the dead to face God, but that we have hope in God's King, uh, Jesus. And then just to finish out this part of the story, uh, just notice how the governor chickens out. Verse 22, Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, so he knew about Christianity, he knew a, a bit about Jesus, and what Christians do. Uh, He adjourned the proceedings, which means he pressed pause on that. And he said, when Lysias, the commander, comes, I will decide your case. He uh, ordered that Paul be kept under guard, um, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. And then we learn that it's kind of pause has been pressed for two years until eventually uh, Felix isn't the governor anymore presses pause for two years. I'm guessing Lysias turned up sometime in the middle of all that, uh, and he knows that Paul's no trouble. The charges can't be proved. The commander's not going to bring any new information. He wrote a letter, after all, but Felix chickens out of letting Paul go, and we see at the end of the chapter that he, uh, he quite, like, quite likes to give a favor to the Jews. He's trying to, he's, he's a bit of a politician. He's trying to, to look good and, and be well thought of. Now, before we go on and finish this part of the story, what can we learn so far? Well, I think we we care a lot what people think about us. Uh, We care what people think of us individually. We care what they think of our families. They care. uh, We care what they think of our church. If there's a story being spread against us, uh, or even an accusation being being spread against us, we like to make sure that everyone knows the whole truth and that they think about us in the best way, as we deserve. So we care a lot about what people think about us. Paul doesn't really care as much, does he? He cares enough to say that he's innocent, but not enough to dig up all the things that other people have done to him. 
The way Paul uh, is treated is not fair, and the stories spread about him are not true. And I think if that was you or me, we'd go mad trying to make everyone know what's true and, and what's not, and to make everything fair for ourselves. But Paul doesn't need Felix or anyone to make things fair for him. He only really cares what God thinks of him. I, I keep my conscience clear before God, he says. So Paul's not worried what people think of him. He's more interested in what God thinks of him and in giving people a chance to think about Jesus. I think we're a little bit the opposite. We're so worried what people think of us that we don't try to give them a chance to think about Jesus. We'll talk about ourselves, no problem, but we find it so hard to talk to others about Jesus. Even getting the word Jesus out of our mouths sometimes in that kind of conversation feels like a hurdle. Um, That's a big thing for us, and we need to think hard about that as we read a book like Acts. We're we're very, very worried about what people think of us and not nearly worried enough about what people think of Jesus and, uh, and giving them a chance to trust him. But let's press on. Let's finish the story. Back to our big idea. Even though trouble might come looking for us, we don't go looking for trouble, but we should be ready to take risks to share Jesus. Um, We should be ready to take risks to share Jesus. We take risks every day. Risks are just part of life, and many risks are just fine, Uh, like going for a walk after dark along a footpath, wearing all the high-vis gear. That's pretty safe. It's fine. Um, In fact, you know, we, we need to take risks in life to be happy and to live in kind of color instead of black and white. You know, we start a new project or a new job or even a new business, even though there's a risk that it won't work out. But we risk it because if it does work, it's going to be brilliant. Um, Or, you know, we love someone and we commit our lives to them, even though that pretty much guarantees that we'll be hurt or sad sometimes. But we risk it because we want to be happy. And we want the other person to be happy too. Uh, Or, you know, in friendships, we choose someone that we can be really honest with someone who will know us really well, even though there's a risk that they won't turn out to be the kind of friend that we need, because we do need people who will love us uh, as we are and who will tell us when we're wrong and and do all those things that good friends do. Basically, we, we always risk sadness or hurt or trouble because the rewards are so great if it works out. Or think about um, maybe an easier picture, something like food. Um, Two weeks in a row I'm talking about food. That's risky. Um, we, we risk. So, so we use a cooker. We use a, a cooker top. We use an oven, uh, microwave or whatever, different things. And from time to time, oh, maybe the edge of your hand will touch the oven rack and you get a little, a little blister. It's sore. It's hot, really hot. We risk burning ourselves from time to time uh, because hot food is so good. Imagine you, th- you looked at the cooker and you thought, oh, I don't know gets awfully hot. Let's just stick to sandwiches and cereal. What do you want for dinner tonight? Oh, well, we had sandwiches last night. Let's have cereal tonight. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? Imagine if we only ever ate cold food. That would be a bit grim. Uh, And the question is, the question with risk is, what good thing could happen if this works? And am I willing to take a risk to try it? What good thing can happen if this works? And am I willing to take a risk to try it? Um, That's the question Paul answers in the rest of the story. Let's just read it again because it's been a few minutes. So verse 24, verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess. 
He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed, which is like preaching or, or, you know, talked on his own, uh, one big long speech, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, some money uh, to get out of jail. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Hint, hint, Paul, come on. Uh, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So Felix's wife, Drusilla, arrives. She was supposedly very good looking. And when she was newly married to her first husband, Felix came along, took a liking to her, wanted her to be his wife instead, and actually plotted a way to, to get her to leave her husband, her new husband, and marry him instead. It was a big scandal. And she was Felix's third wife. She was also the daughter of Herod Agrippa of Acts chapter 12, and he had some Christians killed. And she's the sister of a King Agrippa that we're going to meet next week in chapter 25. And she's also, I think, the great-granddaughter of King Herod the Great, who is the king from the Christmas story, who uh, wants the wise men to help him find Jesus so that he can worship him, kill him, worship him. Uh, and he does kill lots of young boys to make sure to try to get rid of little Jesus. So look, this is not so much happy families as pretty rotten, nasty families. These, these two are part of a pretty grim family. They're, they're not good people, not nice people. Anyway, Felix and Drusilla had heard a bit about Jesus and a bit about people who follow Jesus. Um, and Felix wants to know more. So, and he also wanted Paul to offer him a little bit of money, uh, you know, to get him out of jail. Um, so Paul has these chances to talk to these dodgy but powerful people, Felix and Drusilla. So verse 25, he talks all about God's love and God's forgiveness. Or, or does he? Well, he probably did. But what Luke says Paul especially talked about with these powerful, sinful people, is righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Righteousness, doing the right thing before God and being right before God. Self-control, I don't think that's what's in their relationship background. And the judgment to come. Two people who caused a scandal because of their love life and their lack of self-control. Two people who think they don't answer to anyone. And Paul says, hey, do you know the problem with human beings is that we're sinful? And just look at your lives. You guys are sinners for sure. Uh, and maybe there's no one to punish you here on earth, but there's a God in heaven, and we all have to face him someday, no matter who we are, and you're going to be in big trouble with God. Uh, and I guess that's when Paul would explain, that's why Jesus is such good news, because he took our punishment for us at the cross. And he'd explain that we need to turn from sin, and trust in Jesus. We need to be made righteous by Jesus, and then we need to pursue righteousness by living for him, turning and trusting in Jesus. Uh, so Paul was so clear uh, about us facing God as our judge that verse 25, Felix was afraid. Uh, I guess that's what Paul wanted, isn't it? He wanted Felix to really think seriously about these things and um, well, I can't remember the last time I preached with the intention of making people afraid. Maybe you should try that some week. Um, 
And Felix says, that's enough for now. I think I've heard enough. Uh, you may leave. I guess if he was alive today, he would, he would flick over the YouTube onto something else or just press mute or something. Uh, please don't do that. And he says, look, if I want to hear from you, I'll send for you. Do you think Paul's a bit mad? Do you think Paul has forgotten that Felix is his judge? <laughs> that Felix can find Paul guilty of being a troublemaker? That Felix can order Paul to be punished and even put to death? But Paul wants to tell his judge that he is going to face a judge. Felix will be judged by God. It's a big risk that Paul's taking, isn't it? But that is the truth that Felix needs to hear. Felix needs to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. He needs to be forgiven by God. He needs to start a new life, living right by God through Jesus. So in the first part of the chapter, Paul was happy to defend himself against false accusations because he did want to save his own life. Um, but then in the second part, Paul's also willing to risk his life to tell a couple of people the truth about sin and judgment and rescue through Jesus. Paul doesn't go looking for trouble. He doesn't stir trouble. Uh, and he doesn't worry too much what people think about him, even um, even that they know, he doesn't even worry that they know the whole story about him, but Paul will take risks. He will even risk his life to share the good news of Jesus with someone who needs to hear it. We don't go looking for trouble, but we should be ready to take risks to share Jesus. And so, as we finish, let's ask ourselves, what are we willing to risk to share Jesus? What are we willing to risk to share Jesus? If we talk about him with a family member, uh, we risk them going cold on us. But it's important. So shouldn't we risk that? If we talk about Jesus with a friend, we risk them giving up on our friendship, not being friends anymore. But it's important. So shouldn't we risk that? If we talk about him with work friends or even school friends, we might risk being told off or told to stop, but it's important. So shouldn't we risk that? If we talk about Jesus with anyone, we risk the pain of watching them decide not to follow him. We don't want to see that. It's very sad, but it's important. There's nothing, nothing more important in this life than what people do about Jesus. Uh, like Felix, every one of us will face God as our judge one day. And people need to be ready. They need to be forgiven by coming as a friend and follower of Jesus. So uh, it's so tempting to have a safe and easy life as Christians, but we've got a chance to serve Jesus and share Jesus with people, uh, even though that can be risky. Of course, we don't go looking for trouble, but we should be ready to take risks to share Jesus. Let's pray for his help. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the world the way it really is. Help us to see the real judgment that we all face when we meet you. Thank you that we are safe on that day because Jesus has already taken our punishment. He's already served our sentence in our place at the cross. All our sin is washed away and forgiven and forgotten. 
but help us to see how much the people around us need that too, how much they need Jesus. There's nothing more important. Help us not to be the sort of Christians who love an argument or who play the victim or who go looking for trouble, but to be the sort of Christians who see clearly that a bit of risk to ourselves, a risk to what people think of us, a risk to family and friendships, that risk is worth taking because it's so important that people turn from sin and trust in Jesus. And we pray that we would have lots of chances in these strange times to talk about him and that you would use the good news that we share to save people. And we pray, Almighty God, who called your church to bear witness that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself, help us to proclaim the good news of your love that all who hear it may be drawn to you through him who was lifted up on the cross and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.